Welcome to Beers, Business, and Balls, presented by House Enterprise and brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com and you can get 20% off your order when you use the code HOUSE. I'm Jake and that's Will. It's November. Elon Musk is the chief twit. And the Philadelphia Phillies are in the World Series. Two things I did not think I would say in the first week of November of 2022. Wow. 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 I mean, we alluded to this last week. It's like, oh, things are weirdly progressing with Elon. Then all of a sudden, this week, he is uh, the chief twit, what he's calling himself. So good for you, Elon. Here's to you. New title. New title. Twitter complaint hotline operator. Oh, I did see this. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's like all over the place because it's like someone was just like, he's like very responsive on Twitter, which is just like makes it even more funnier. Um it started off with like the him walking into the office and goes, let that sink in with holding a sink. Like that was fun. <laughs> yeah, says let that sink in. I thought the people pretending to be engineers let go was like incredible content. I thought that was fun. Yeah. So did he like troll them or what? What's the deal? I don't, I don't think he did, but it was kind of just like, it was just, I mean, those two guys like fooled everybody. Or did he did he pay them i guess which it doesn't sound like he did yeah and then obviously the big thing which we'll say for you know the business section is his rampage on the blue check mark being eight dollars and like all of uh all of the you know wealthy elites being like oh my god like screw that meanwhile they're selling like 80 dollar sweatshirts so you can just call aost for what she is yeah yeah his response was funny he's like thanks for Thanks for your feedback. Now pay me $8. Yeah. And then like Stephen King was just like, um, he was like going off and it was like some tweet was like a man that's worth a billion dollars and a man that worth $200 billion fighting over $20 a month. <laughs> it's insanity. All of this is insanity. If like, you're going to piss the blue, the, the wealthy elites off the most for paying $8. And I'm sorry, like that maybe it's the right decision. Nobody's pissed except these wealthy people. I know. <laughs> Meanwhile, you and I were sitting there and be like, hmm, I might, I might do this. Yeah. <laughs> like, $500 do I need it? No, I don't need it. Eight bucks for Twitter blue and a blue check mark. Uh, we'll come back to it. Yeah. And give you where my head's at, sort of. Yeah. Uh, well, to start things off, we have two great guests uh, back in the craft beer world Joel Iverson and Peter Kiley from Monday Night Brewing, who secretly uh, maybe not even secretly they run an empire down south um couple locations in atlanta monday night garage uh among some others as well as monday night social club out in birmingham alabama uh, nashville bunch of cool stuff they're doing really cool stuff with their pizza as well we won't spoil it just yet but something to do with the yeast and overall really cool conversation uh very Two very unique minds running this business together Monday night. So let's dive in. Let's talk some beer with Joel Iverson and Peter Kiley. Here they are. All right, everybody with this this week, we're back in the craft beer world and we have two guests down in Georgia. I think our first Georgia guests and our first beer guests that are not in New England and uh, the Northeast. So, uh, well, that's not true, but we got brewmaster Peter Kiley and co-owner Joel Iverson of Monday Night Brewing, which, you know, is really a whole empire in itself. And we can't wait to hear what they have going on. But Peter and Joel, welcome to the show. Can't wait to hear about Monday Night Brewing and how's everything going? 
Good. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. So we just fact checked this, and you're the second most southern brewery we've had. I was um, going to say we forgot. We, we had the Bahamas, yeah, or the uh, oh, actually wow. well, the third most southern in that okay. case. Okay. Second, uh, side hustle <laughs> and Holton Head. And geographically it. speaking, yes, not based off of like mannerisms or personalities, right? <laughs> geographically, yeah, we'll yes, yes, <laughs> and strictly like, geographically. I'm like the most southern. Okay, we'll, we'll see about that. We're a small state, on. so we don't get out much, clearly. But <laughs> we're we're happy to have you two on, and you know, hard hitting journalism right off the bat. In a few words, you know, what is Monday Night Brewing? Um. Well, I guess we I mean, stumped I'll, you. I'll jump in on. Yeah. Yeah. I'll jump. <laughs> we we are a we are a company. I mean, we say basically our purpose statement is Monday Night Brewing exists deeper in relationships over some of the best beer in the world. And we're really just about about really great beer and excelling at making beer and having um, kind of the relational component that comes along with that. So, you know, whether it's the relationships from people within our company and our tap rooms um, among with our consumers. Um, so it's really about just people and beer. That's that's kind of who we are as a company. I would second that. That's well said. Depends on which day you find me. I'll give you a different answer. <laughs> It makes sense. Oh, goodness. Um, so the home roots are obviously are in Atlanta. So that's where Monday Night West Midtown and Monday Night Garage, too, which we'll come back to in a second, are located. But, you know, maybe in a few words as well, uh, the inspiration behind, uh, you know, the, maybe the story of Monday Night Brewing, the abbreviated story. Um, why Atlanta? You know, sort of why those two different locations to start off? And, uh, and what were some of the early days like? <laughs> Yeah, so I um, early days were a couple guys getting together on Monday nights to brew a batch of beer. Um, we kind of got some homebrewing kits, and um, my wife got me one. My other partner, Jeff, he got one. We brewed a batch of beer on a Monday night, and like two weeks later, we were pretty much like, oh, my gosh, we just made alcohol. This is amazing. <laughs> now, it didn't, it didn't actually taste that great but it was alcohol, like it actually fermented. And so we were really, really proud of ourselves. And so we started just kind of every Monday night brewing a new batch of beer, um, kind of got really excited about just trying out different different things. And um, and we did that for, um, started inviting friends, neighbors, coworkers. And I think that's really where the, the people element became fun because it was like, you know, on a Monday night, you can just have a group of 20 to 50 people show up uh, drink your beers, give you feedback on your beers, hang out with each other, meet other random people. Um, and it was this kind of really unique kind of communal thing that that came out of those Monday nights. And so we did that for about five years. Um, and then we decided to kind of go launch a commercial brewery. None of us had much commercial, any, you know, production experience. Um, we um, hired one guy from the outside who came and joined us. And then actually, I think it was like the second week we were open, um, Peter had just moved back. He'd been a winemaker out in California and had just moved back. And he came, it was what, your friend's, um, friend's uh, engagement party or something? That's that was right, here. yeah. And, uh, and he's like, look, I'm a wine guy. I'm not a beer guy. But he like had me give him this whole tour through the back. And then he was like, he was like, all right, you know what? I want to come. I want to come. I want to come work here. What you guys are doing is super cool. And he, what well, he started, I don't know, what a month after that. And yeah, I, I went from professional winemaker to professional box folder and erector. 
and uh, yeah, got my started the good old fashioned way. And then all the way up to kind of brewmaster and co-owner with us now and um, kind of been like kind of led the charge on kind of bringing just a ton of that experience from the from the wine world and the flavor side there into beer in a way that we think is is pretty unique in terms of how people are doing doing beer here. So from a uh, Joel, what is your background in besides the home brewing? What, what, what did like what was your you know, moment of getting out of it. And then I also have a question for Peter as well. Yeah, mine, uh, my, my wife joked that uh, I was an infomercial salesman. Um, no joke. <laughs> I wasn't the actual salesman, but like I worked at this company, we worked with like a bunch of like direct consumer brands. So like, like we did a product with like Hulk Hogan and Paul Abdul. And you remember guys, remember like Billy Mays, the OxyClean guy, right, like we see. did a bunch of products. Yeah, I know. I and we so worked with all those people doing these direct to consumer um, products. So I went from infomercial sales to beer. So quite the quite the transition. I was very glad to get out of that. So. And then Peter, so was your whole background in the wine world, and was this the first time you've ever experimented with beer? Yes. Um, so my background was. Um, I was a chemist before all, studied that in school, thought I was going to do medicine. Um, I ended up finding my way into alcohol through a, a family connection and drove from, uh, I'm, uh, I'm originally from Georgia, from Atlanta. So I went to school at UGA. And one year I drove out for a summer internship at a winery in California and the rest was history. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that it's been professional alcohol production for I think my entire professional career and uh, never made a beer before Monday Night Brewing. I honestly, I, I think a lot of people probably feel this way where whatever your initial plan was is not your final destination. I kind of in a way, maybe this is the right words, maybe it's the wrong. I definitely stumbled into beer. Um, hopefully I don't stumble out of it, but um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a trip guys. Well, the reason I bring that up, you have two people that we're not in the craft beer space whatsoever. And your tagline talks about making some of the best beer in the world. Well, 19 of your beers were recognized in 27 separate awards. Um, you're the first brewery in Georgia to win the triple crown of beer competition. So one, how, is, how much of a surreal feeling is that, you know, because you talked about not being, this wasn't part of your journey. This wasn't part of, you know, what you guys were envisioning, but now all of a sudden, you're making some pretty damn good beer and, you know, people are recognizing it across the, uh, across the state and across the country. I mean, I think it's definitely cool. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like, Oh man, you know, like I'm, I didn't like do sports growing up. I didn't win trophies. Like I didn't get that going on. <laughs> I see behind you, you got a bunch of things framed over there. I don't know if you guys won trophies growing up, but for me, I think that it would be completely unfair to take credit for this. Um, I think anyone that's paying attention to our program right now, they see that uh, it's so real that the team dynamic, something like this doesn't happen on accident. It takes a lot of people. Um, and the truth is, like, I think it might be surprising or people might be asking themselves, so like, wow, how's Monday Night Brewing doing this? But if you look at our team and you see what we're actually doing day in and day out, um, we always joke about this idea that we probably have about 95% of how we make beer figured out. And it's within that last 5%. That's where our magic is. That's where all of our, our arguing, our fighting for excellence, like the thing that makes us special is how we fight over that last 5% of beer. And 
you know, I mean, COVID kind of sucks. So we took two years off from really just being out in the limelight and trying to put our beers in the competition, just focusing. So to see us come out of COVID and to get this feels great. I mean, I tell you, COVID was hard for everyone. It's already hard enough making beer in the summertime when it's like 102 degrees, relative humidity. Very sweaty. You will be walking around in someone's mouth. I mean, it is so gross and sticky back there. The South's already hot enough. So I just think that I'm just extremely proud of our team. I'm proud of the accomplishments, obviously. I'm really proud of the hard work, the determination, all that fun stuff. So is it surprising? It still is kind of a little bit. But if you look at the team, it's not surprising as much. That's really great to hear. I, I think another big measure is the expansion, too. So obviously, Atlanta's not the only market uh, for you guys at this point. Monday Night Social Club in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, Monday Night Preservation Company in Nashville, Tennessee, too. I, I mean, when you're looking to expand, what are sort of those things that you guys saw? Did you have connections there? Is that was it an easy in or was it, wow, these are emerging markets. Let's go and try and figure this out. Hmm. I would say, I mean, we, some people ask us, do we have this like big grand master plan that we're like following? And I'm like, no, we're usually like, we're living, we're taking like the next logical step. We're like, oh, that seems like, that seems like a good step. And that's uh, most of our most brilliant decisions. I mean, opening the garage was a guy was trying to like get us to go down and do something there. And Peter and I went down and Peter kind of had this vision of like, hey, this is going to be our sour and wild barrel. The guy was actually trying to get us to just store some pallets in this space. He's like, hey, can you just like store some pallets here? And I can say Monday Night Brewing is doing something here. Right now. <laughs> like, and uh, and it turned into this entire new program and facet of our business, you know, from a guy who was like, you know, that came from this like one meeting. Um, but I mean, I, we, we think about it like we're, we're, we're not trying to, you know, we're not trying to be Arby's and open a bunch of store locations. Um, each of our places are very, very unique to kind of the city and the place they are. There's not like a common aesthetic. There's not, um, you know, our, our, our spot in Nashville, it's got this amazing old, it's, it's, it's built in an old slaughterhouse. Um, and it's got this old boiler room that's kind of like half open and half dilapidated that you're kind of sitting inside drinking these beers and just a ton of history. That's what it's got a ton of history. We call it the preservation co because of that. Um, and it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of an organic process where we, we stumble our way into like, Hey, something that seems like it fits now in terms of distribution, we are in kind of Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee are the States we distribute in. And so it, it's pretty cool to invite consumers in each of those markets to come in and enjoy our beers. Yeah. And to add on to that, we've done something really well, I believe. And I think it's probably a, a Southern thing, but we work where we have relationships. We don't just like do something really for business. We tend to go into something because we trust someone. We have a bond. We want to build something greater than our CEO, Jeff. He always talks about how the people that he likes most in life are the people that he builds things with. And we've kind of done that as we've expanded. It's been really just built around relationships. And also to Joel's point, every location has to have a sense of purpose, right? It has an identity. It has a soul. If you just start popping up and all these things look the same and all the beers are the same, it gets boring really quick. And consumers know when they're being lied to. They know when they're be being steered in one direction. So we make specific beers for certain locations, even if it's just made in Atlanta or if it's made there at the location. Everything has a reason for existence. And uh, it's built around the people that we want to work with, not just because we want to be there. 
Absolutely. And you touched upon, which was, you know, perfect segue into one of our next question, um, the garage. So obviously this is the hub for all souring and barrel aging that goes, you know, on with your beers, but there's also a pizza component to it. So I'd love to hear, I mean, pizza and beer, everyone loves that combination. So, you know, tell us, I, I mean, continue on to your story of like how this was supposed to be a pallet shop and it turned to, you know, this little, um, you know, space of innovation and in brewing, but how, what was the process of, you know, deciding what was getting put into the garage to then using the yeast for the pizza making? And if you can explain that process as well for the listeners. Joel, I, I'm, I'm going to jump in here first to talk yeah. about the garage and then segue into you and your pizza. So when we first found the garage and we talked about the garage, this was kind of a, a funny idea. I convinced the guys that I wanted to have this idea of our barrel aging facility kind of built like a vineyard outside and wanted to plant a big old orchard, wanted to get wild yeast, you know, increase the microflora and fauna, do this whole spontaneous beer program, have one side of the whole location be just for our non-sour stuff. It was this crazy idea. And then my favorite part is I sat down with them and I go, and guys, I want to design it like a winery. And they were like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> They're like, no, this is going to be a brewery. And I'm like, no, nah, I want to design it like a winery. So the whole idea kind of was built around taking this way that I thought about beer, which was differently. I thought about beer more in the wine making sense, kind of taking the steps, thinking about time differently. Um, obviously, coming from wine, I think my level of patience for time and maturation is probably different than the average brewer. But from there, we just kind of pieced this thing together, opened the doors in September 23rd, 2017, if I remember correctly. And we just really wanted to build this hyper-intentional program that explored what beer could, should, can be. You know, we talk about this wood wild sour. Everything there has to come in contact with oak. That's kind of the rule for that facility. Um, and then from there, it kind of grew into something that I think that we had dreamed of, but we never thought was possible. Um, you know, it's this beautiful outdoor green space. The inside's amazing. We have this great um, private event space as well. And eventually the garage over the years grew into a destination. And one of the things that we found was that if people really wanted to explore this place and they want to explore all the beers that we had to offer, we wanted to make the program a little bit more dynamic. And so the idea kind of came about working with, you know, different pop-up food trucks and always providing food. Joel had this idea one day and I'll let him get into it, but COVID was tough for some people. I'll tell you for Joel Iverson's body, COVID was very tough because he probably made over a thousand pizzas. <laughs> so I'll let you go there, Joel. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I'd always been like fascinated with pizza making and like, doing it at home and um, just on my own. And then, you know, it's like when the whole world shut down with COVID and you're like, I mean, we literally, we were, we were like, all right, we're going to basically, you know, had to close all of our tap rooms. We, you know, we're struggling to get cans to even like stay afloat and stay in business. I mean, just, it was, everything was like falling apart and I would go home um, and I would just like cook. It's <laughs> like my, my way of, of gaining sanity. Um, and so I just started like going really deep down the rabbit hole of pizza making and doing like these like long fermented doughs and getting really into, you know, really good Italian flours and 
really good cheese and all this stuff. And, um, and so I would come on like Fridays, basically the tap room, everything was closed. The office was closed, but production was like the one group of people that were still here. And so on Fridays, I had a little like portable wood-fired pizza oven and I would just set it up on the patio and just make wood-fired pizzas for the production guys on Fridays. Um, and it was this kind of fun way to just like still kind of keep that communal aspect going, but also, um, also just, I was like having so much fun trying out these different pizza recipes and ways to do it. Um, kind of fast forward and we're like, all right, we need to really do, um, pizza program like there at the at the garage um and one of the things peter didn't talk about right at the very tip of kind of the garage where you walk in the door there's something we call the the crunk ship it's a cool ship it's a spontaneous fermentation vessel where you allow the wild sort of yeast and bacteria from the orchard to flow in um, and we make beers that are fermented with that wild yeast and bacteria and um and so basically kind of did the same thing with the pizza dough. Uh, so, I mean, you guys are familiar with like sourdough, sourdough breads or sourdough starters. It's literally, you're just putting uh, a jar of some water and some flour out and you're letting the natural yeast and bacteria, you don't add any commercial yeast. You just let that natural. So that's why what's cool about every sourdough. Every sourdough is a little bit different because it's, it's kind of built on the, um, the, the local yeast of wherever it was originally collected. Um, and so we kind of just did the same thing, same thing there. It's an, it's a natural sourdough fermentation. Um, that's essentially the, the same yeasts that are fermenting some of our beers down there. Um, it's delicious. It's rich. It's got a ton of just depth and flavor to it. Um, and then we pair that with just some also really, really good, um, ingredients. Like we're importing this, um, uh, water buffalo mozzarella that comes from Colombia, South America. It's like fresh grass-fed water buffalo cheese and it's like it's, it's some really good stuff and it, it goes perfectly with the pizza um and i eat way too much of it but it's delicious so what beer i come in get this pizza because this is this is not bar pie this is some artisan pizza um especially i mean we've we saw the pictures and we'll put some yeah, up when yeah. we uh, we'll post this out but i walk in to get a pizza what beer or beers perfectly uh pair well with the with the said pizza Man, I'm going to really just not answer that question the way you want me to. Um, <laughs> so coming from wine, so in between making wine and then getting into beer, I studied to become a sommelier, and I did that for the Atlanta Wine School and being a venue over here in Atlanta. Um, and I, I love the prestige of it. I really love the recommendations. I love the storytelling of being a som. I thought all that was so fantastic. But one of the things I swore to myself with our program was that I wasn't, if someone really wanted to have like an intentional answer, because I think that flavor is so extremely subjective, you know, what your, your perceptions, your reality. And I don't like to interfere with that. So I like to make sure that everything that we deliver on liquid wise is supposed to pair with life. It's supposed to, you know, our, our, our slogans, you know, beers for the weekdays, it's supposed to just pair with everything. If I had to really break it down and like give you a hyper direct answer, I think that obviously anything spicy IPAs work great. You know, I think that for some of our fatty stuff, it's really enjoyable to get some of our spontaneously fermented kind of more tart and sour beers. We do have some very savory ones, some of our savory pies that obviously like a good stout that already possesses those notes of umami and kind of richness really plays well into it. But if you go inside any of our tap rooms, probably at any point we'll have anywhere from like, let's say, what, 20 to 30 
unique beers spanning across all styles. So, and we also rotate that through weekly. So it's always hard to be like, you know, well, if you can definitely repeat that experience because more than likely you're not going to be able to repeat experience week from week, unless it's one of our core beers. You come into one of our tap rooms, come to the garage. It'll be hopefully something different every time. But ultimately, I just want people to enjoy themselves, right? Like it's hard to get time to yourself. Money's not easy to come by. So when you come by Monday Night Brewing, I want you to have whatever pizza, whatever beer you want. I'm not going to scoff. Our people aren't going to care. We just want you to enjoy yourself. Have your cake and eat it too. I love your pie and eat it too. (laughs) Have your pie and eat it too. Yes, I love it. Simple message. Um, Another really unique area that that we found is that there's a lot of emphasis in the local ingredients as well. I mean, you guys have partnered with uh, Aluma Farm in Georgia and also a local beekeeper in is that Bowen Bend, Bowen Bend, one of the two. Bowen Bend, yeah, yeah. He's Bowen actually Bend. a former former employee who uh, makes honey like two blocks away from us. That's a, a very that's a very cool twist. I mean, how important is that to it in your mentality for both of you guys at different functions for keeping the local roots, uh, sort of utilizing the community to to make your beer, to make your pizza, even you know uh, how how much of an emphasis is that. This is, I'm trying to use my hands to be as big as possible. <laughs> I mean, I, it's it, a thing about Atlanta that I've grown to love, but I also find to be a challenge is that it's hard to have a sense of place. Atlanta is just a hyper transient place. Everyone's coming in and out. It's rare that you find someone that's actually from here. So every time, every chance that we get to actually tap in and have a sense of place, it feels really good. I think that both Joel and I, probably suffer from hyper intentionality. I think that sometimes we care so much about the little fine details about what makes our product, not like special, or just like really what makes our product that it can slow us down. But I'll tell you when, when we get it right, there's nothing better. I mean, even the honey that we're referencing for the pizzas, yes, we have this hot honey pie. That's amazing. But then we also use these honeys for bottle conditioning. Some of our beers, any chance that we can get to use something local to really highlight the geographic advantage that we have for being like in the state of Georgia, which is heavily agricultural, but also just getting to tap into something that's truly Atlanta. I mean, our, our spontaneous beers, we're fermenting those from wild yeast that is collected in Southwest Atlanta. I'm not sure if he hasn't been to Southwest Atlanta, but I cannot begin to tell you how wonderfully surprised and confused I am that our spawn beers have turned out as well as they have knowing that they're pretty much just collecting this atmospheric terroir, right, from a hyper-transient and densely urban area that is next to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium where the Falcons play. And I just think it's like the coolest thing in the world. So ultimately, intentionality for us is probably not to sound cheesy. It's our like, probably our most important ingredient. And when we get to apply it wherever we can in our program, it is a must. So. I mean, without revealing, you know, any future plans, but what, where do you see Monday night, the empire is at his whole going, where do you envision? I mean, obviously is the focus in expanding to other markets? Is it trying new beer that you haven't done? What in both of your perspectives is the future of the brand? I, I, I think we will, um, I think we'll continue to 
I mean, we, we've always been, I mean, one of the reasons we got all those awards is I think because our team is just constantly innovating, right? We are, we are trying new things. We're trying new methods. I mean, you watch like Peter and some of the other brewers, they, they just get together and they like geek out and they debate each other about trying new and different things in different ways. And um, so I think on the, on the, on the kind of beer side, I'm, I'm convinced we're going to just continue to put out world-class stuff because, and I think we're going to come up with new things and new ways that people haven't done things. Cause that's kind of what our team drives for. It's a bunch of super passionate people. Um, I think on the business side, we're going to, um, we're going to, you know, continue to, I think probably expand a little bit in markets around us. Um, you know, I don't, it, it used to be like, everyone's goal was like, hey, I want to be dogfish head. I want to, I want to like, I want to be in 50 States, right. I want to drop lots of little amounts of beer in 50 States. We're, we're, we're really saying that we want to, we'd rather have kind of a, a deeper footprint in a smaller market, um, focus, be intentional in the markets that we're in. Uh, both in distribution and tap room. Um, and then I think, I mean, we're, we're, Peter and I say we're kind of uh, equal opportunity alcohol consumers. I mean, we're playing around with, with some other crazy fermentations that would push the limits of traditional beer, um, you know, playing around with some spirits things, playing around with just, I mean, we love this stuff. Like we, we have a lot of fun, um, you know, just, I mean, I, like I, I make kombucha at home. I'm like fascinated by it. fermentation is fascinating and we're going to just continue to experiment with different, different things in this vein of kind of the beverage world that, uh, it's going to be a, a ton of fun. Man, you, uh, that's a great answer. Cause I couldn't agree with that more. I think one of the things that I, People think I'm joking because I say it, but I say it too often. I don't want to just be a brewery. I want to get closer to being an alcoholery. I am just like with Joel. I think fermentation is fantastic. Obviously, I have deep roots and a lot of an, an immense love and respect for winemaking. That could be a part of our program in the future. That'd be great. Whether it's the meads, the spirits, the kombuchas, all of it. I think that's great. The more that we explore, that's kind of like the goal. From there, also, I don't believe in being everywhere. What I really care about is that when we are somewhere, we are everything. So I really want to be able to ask more questions, deepen our knowledge, as well as our passion for our craft. I really also want to like think about not getting wide, but also just really, once again, getting deeper with our relationships, with our partners, I don't want to be from Atlanta and then forget about Atlanta. I always want to keep our city first and foremost in our in how we think about beer and how we think about service. I also just want to increase the experience of Monday Brain. When you come and visit us from what you taste to the human interaction, you know, all of it, I think that we are purveyors of flavor, but we also want to be a place where you can just have a, a quality experience. So over the years, I don't know. I'm not super keen on just growing for the sake of growth but um would it hurt to win a few more awards no i would like that too probably <laughs> we'll see but um all things in time it's been 11 years now going on 12 i'm just hopeful that we get another 12 more another uh another to add to the new trophy case of course uh for you peter but in the spirit of Atlanta, too, is there any other Atlanta breweries that you guys would like to shout out? I mean, pretty slept on community for craft beer. I know last time I was in Atlanta, I ripped up Orpheus. It was fantastic. Um, 
couple other breweries around there too. Anywhere that is maybe, you know, a friend of yours that, that you maybe want to shout out here as well. Absolutely. I feel like we have a lot of deep roots in our city. And then, you know, from the people that we've worked with, people that we've helped along the way. Um, I think there's a lot of great breweries to only name a few almost feels like an injustice. Um, first and foremost, just top of the head. I mean, halfway crooks over in Summerhill, um, focusing on an amazing logger program, um, Sean Bainbridge, and then Joran Van Ginderachter, if I say that right. Sorry, Joran. Um, they have an amazing program. For a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, Jason over at Orpheus, Little Cottage. Um, there's a bunch of great breweries. And the thing about Atlanta that's so cool is that ever since the laws have changed and allowed for, you know, alcohol to be just the, an easier landscape to exist on, we've seen so many great breweries pop up all over the state. And I think that a lot of other states, I'm not going to call out names, I'm not going to point fingers, but I think a lot of people maybe rested a little bit on their laurels, maybe kind of felt like the top spot was theirs. And Georgia has just been quietly figuring it out, putting their head down as a collective. And I'm so extremely proud as to what Georgia has done over the years to develop itself as I would absolutely say a leader in the United States when it comes to craft beer production and overall scene. Honestly, there's a few states that are always going to be the kings in my eyes. You know, the Californias of the world, the Vermonts, Massachusetts even, but when it comes to the Rhode Southeast. Rhode Island, Rhode Island, you're not going to mention Rhode Island, dude? Come on. <laughs> I mean, I mean, come on. I said I'm not, like, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to start any shit, all right, guys? Um, but the truth is, I think that Georgia, I'm so extremely proud of this state. I think that if anyone has anything to say about it, they're just not familiar with the beers. If you come down here, I don't even need to speak for them. They speak for themselves. So I'd only name two other breweries, but there's so many great ones. So I hope that people take um take the chance to come explore beer in Georgia because they will not be let down. Well, you'll have to come up to Rhode Island to see what's going up in the Northeast as well. Uh, but I, I do agree, you know, Georgia is, you know, this is why one of the reasons we have you on the show. It's like, let's let's hear from not only in New England and in the Northeast, let's hear from all 50 states. Let's hear from, you know, all parts of the world because it's like everyone does it differently. But how how are they quietly creating a new little craft beer atmosphere and environment themselves? So it's exciting to hear what's going on in Georgia, um, you know. As we close out the interview, where can people find your your beer? You know, whether it's on social media, physically coming to your location, grabbing a, a case to go. Where can they get your beer, and where can they find more information about Monday Night? Peter, <laughs> well, uh, I mean, website is mondaynightbrewing.com. Social handles are all all pretty much Monday Night on all the big platforms. Just Monday Night. Um, and then we, I mean, we're distribution in Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama. We do occasional drops um, through, uh, what's that service? Peter? Tavor. Tavor. Um, where occasionally they'll do some limited small batch stuff where the, that's where you can kind of order and have it shipped to you in certain parts of the country, um, like outside of our three main states. But, um, you know, honestly, we just say, hey, if you're in either of these cities, Birmingham, Atlanta, Nashville, um, come to one of our locations. You're not going to be let down with um, just our staff, the beer, the experience. It's uh, pretty phenomenal. All right. Well, we appreciate the time. We appreciate hearing your story. Uh, give them a follow on social media. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. And Peter and Joel will keep in touch. And thank you for the time.
Thanks, guys. Yeah, guys. And that was just Joel and Peter of Monday Night Brewing. I mean, really, really cool stuff. I hope one day we can get down to Georgia to see, and just the South in general, to see what they've built because um, I just love like the natural progression of like how those two think. Like they're not even being like, you know, cocky business people. Like they've mentioned, they're just like, we just kind of feel, feel where the market's going and add stuff. And I also just thought, and we talked about this after the interview, how casual they were just like, yeah, you know, we want to stay in like the South and like keep our footprint there. It's like, you have very big markets. It's not like we're comparing it to Rhode Island of like Johnston, Warwick and Cranston, Birmingham, uh, Nashville and Atlanta are (laughs) massive, massive. And they're just like, yeah. That's what we're doing. Yeah, well, Atlanta's another place. It's like there's a lot of breweries in Atlanta, you know, and Atlanta's also a massive city too, as you know. It's like if you're in what they call Atlanta, like you know, all the way up to like Alpharetta up north, it takes it could take like an hour and a half, two hours to get to the airport. Sometimes it's a big freaking place. Um, very i was very optimistic when i was last in atlanta i did have i plugged it in front of them too is orpheus brewing company that was good that was the like i don't want to say they invented sours necessarily but like that was one of the breweries down south that sort of pioneered making sours on a large scale so that's pretty cool i was gonna say i have the stickers you gave me on the mini fridge that's right uh, i remember that serp- went 2018. serpent bite and psycho fanatic Psychophantis, can't see it but i mean it's been a while because this mini fridge it's on the front door and yes. now there's i have no room for sticker stickers on both sides of the top i rated transmigration of souls which got a 375 and wandering blues was a sour that i gave a four i don't really venture into the four space of sours too that's a, that's a good beer Maybe I'll bring that back next week. Uh, review some Southern beer from my last trip. I was freshly 21. Um, went for a job interview. Had to bring the rental car back. I'm like, you know, I've got three hours. Orpheus is not on the way, but I guess I'll make it on my way. Um, really nice part of Atlanta, too. Like Atlanta's kind of reminds me of Providence that like you're in a really nice part of the city in one second. Then you drive around the corner and you've got people like saying, Oh, don't go down there. Um, but it's obviously on a much larger scale. It's, it's huge. It's a huge city. Good beer though. Good beer. Um, that's our conversation with Monday night. Uh, let's get into business. Um, I mean, like we've said, our whole podcast has been about Elon Musk these past two and a half years. It's the, Oh, Elon did this. He did what we started talking about Tesla stock back in, in 2020. And now we're here. Um, confidence meter was pretty low at times of, will this deal get done? Will he actually show up and run this thing? Gone are the days to speculate, man, because Elon's in charge of Twitter officially. And I will say I'm more optimistic than I thought I would be. I could deal with, you know, I I understand it's funny, right? Like he's trolling people. He's he's tweeting out stupid shit at at people to piss them off already. But I could do without a, a, a good chunk of that. Like keep Twitter light and fun, but 
I don't know. Um, it's almost questioning, like, is he what? Like, what's he really in it for? You know? Yeah. I still you, can't tell. I, I think it's like I think he got caught in his bluff. If I'm going to be honest, because the what the way the whole deal went down, it's like he said it as a joke. He put his money where his mouth is, which like Elon's very. You know, he's known to do that. Like he was talking about how he can end world hunger with six billion dollars. And he's like, I'll do it. And then like, which is kind of sketchy that like no one wanted to take him up on that offer. I don't know. That's weird. That's yeah, why didn't weird. any government be like, Yeah, we'll take you six billion bucks, help us? That's weird, but and then I thought the deal was gonna back out. I mean, we talked about it because he was like, he probably didn't it was too it was too big for his riches. I mean, forty four billion dollars is not just a drop in the bucket. And he's also like, I mean, talk about guys that have plates full. It's like, holy shit, you were CEO and founders and owners of all these companies doing multiple different things. Like, do you need Twitter, which is like a massive empire on its own? Um, but then the lawsuits happen and he's like, I guess I'm, I got to run with it. Now, it'll be interesting to see how long he actually is CEO. Who comes in? The company's now going to be private we'll be we'll we'll still be talking about it weeks to come yeah we will i just um i think he may be overestimating his capability to to quote unquote turn things around at twitter um like is this good for twitter i don't i i can't confidently say yes or no at this point so whatever um, the question turns to Twitter Blue now. Twitter Blue is going to be revamped. I had you and I had both pitched about this that Twitter should not be hiding basic app improvements behind a paywall. Well, now Elon's sort of addressing that too. He's like, yeah, you know, we're going to up the price of Twitter Blue, but you're going to get more, and you're going to get verified. Now, I don't know if that's a trap. I would consider it though. If there was like getting verified and something else, maybe it's the edit button, but it sounds like that's going to get rolled out everywhere too. I would consider right now, November 3rd, when we release this, I'd consider Twitter blue for $8 a month. $8. The $20, I said no. No. I'm like, even it's like, even if you had, like, I'm thinking about it, like when you, when you think of brands, right? You know, Barstool, for example, how many content creators and branded accounts does Barstool have on Twitter? Hundreds, right? Hundreds. So for a company like them, if it's $20 a month, times that by 12, times that by 250, like that's a, that's a big expense just to be verified. But does it go away is the question. Like, are they going to work it out with brands that already have that in place? Like if you're not an entity... I I get that, right? But if these corporations and stuff, like there's got to be different guidelines, right? If you're like incorporated or something. Yeah, and it's one of those things where I see the argument of like, you know, the small town journalist being like, I busted my ass for notability to get, you know, verified and like be a reputable source to then have to like pay. Like freelancers, it's going to be tough. But I also see the benefit like of, you know, paying yourself into the verification status just to be like you know i also was busting my ass and like couldn't crack the algorithm with all of these bots and stuff now if it you know allows the algorithm to like improve your content and you can get more features out of it 
eight bucks a month isn't terrible. I mean, like Elon literally posted a meme of like a smiley face with like a Starbucks coffee. And it was like $8 for the Starbucks coffee. And it's like 30 minutes was like the clock. And then like a frowny, sad face, like the mad face with Twitter blue check mark for $8. And it said 30 days. <laughs> so if it's, if, if, I hope it just like clears out too, where it's like, okay, the reputable accounts actually are, you know, posting reputable stuff because you're not like, that's what like the big argument was too. It's like, oh, you're like, this was supposed to be an outlet for free speech. And now you have to pay for free speech. And it's like, no, you just have to pay to be a verified member. It's you're paying for a premium, a, a premium subscription. I'm worried that he thinks this is like the background check. Like his, this is his response to spam. Which I understand it, but you're also going to piss a lot of people off if they're like, well, I'm a normal human being and I'm not spam. Now I have to pay eight bucks. I mean, I guess it's like anything. Like there's a free version and then there's a paid version. Um, which, hey, if there's, I, I think there is a market for it. I think that's a objectively a good move for Twitter. But I don't know where it's coming from is the issue. And that's what I can't wrap my head around with this Musk man. Yeah, I just hope the app doesn't lose its flair. I, like, I mean, did it have flair? You know. Well, if like, all right, pull up your phone. Pull I've got your, it right here. Pull up your phone and go to your most you your screen time. Oh, it's got to be Twitter. Where is it? It's screen time. Um. Uh, where the hell? I did have YouTube rolling in the background today, so that doesn't count. Also, what's your daily average? Too much. What is it? It's rolling around seven hours. That's I'm at seven. Ugh. So I have Instagram as one, Twitter as two, I have Maps as three, Safari as four. Houseenterprise.com is five. <laughs> Wait, uh, the at the that goes down to the website level? Mine doesn't do that. Yeah. Uh S Google is six, Slack is seven, messages at eight, fantasy is nine, and notes is ten. Interesting. So Twitter's number two. It takes my, yeah, what, Twitter's one, two, three, four, five, six for me. I also like, I, I was in a weird spot because I also had, like I had the iPad rolling today for YouTube and for uh, Netflix at one point. And yeah, because like YouTube, Safari, Messages, Slack, Netflix, Twitter. This is today alone. And what I don't like is it takes everything it takes your mac it takes your ipad it takes i'm like i don't want to fucking know how long i've been staring at a screen i don't want to yeah so as long as it doesn't lose the flair of like people being comedic as well as just like don't mess up the algorithm in the timeline view like instagram did like i don't want to see tweets from two days ago of like how did i miss this i mean I we're also... just chronological order that should be the algorithm we talked about this maybe last year. Like, we're going to Twitter for news for the most part. Like, I, I would be a liar if I said I could live right now. Like, if I just deleted Twitter, I would certainly feel out of the loop. One thing, one thing I do want to point out, which 
I, I'm sure it's an Elon thing. Did you see the fact checking stuff? No. Oh my goodness. So again, yeah, not yeah. a not a political show, but we'll go to Biden's Twitter account, for example. Oh, I might have heard this today. And yeah, where is the one tweet that like blew up that had it? I wonder if he deleted it. Okay, but so seniors are getting the biggest increase in their social security checks in 10 years through Biden's leadership. Well, it, so this was the one, ready? So the, the first one that I see, Biden tweeted out, some seniors pay $400 a month for insulin. It's ridiculous. Thanks for the inflation reduction at, we're capping the cost at $35 a month. Underneath it, it goes, this is on Twitter, readers add context they thought people might want to know. While the Inflation Reduction Act capped the insulin cost at $35 for individuals on Medicare, it did not cap the cost for seniors on private insurance or anyone under the age of age of 65. Here is an article by WFYI. Out of the 8.4 million Americans who take insulin, only 3.3 million are covered by Medicare. Here's an article about MarketWatch. So it facts checks the verified people. I like that. I do. Is that's like you have to be honest with what you say. And what's good is he's not like everybody thinks Elon's this like raging conservative guy. No, he's in the middle as hell. I would almost assume he's like he sounds pretty libertarian to me, like the way that he's, he's like he's like fiscally conservative, socially liberal. Yeah, I don't really like. I feel like that's all misused though. Like the the, the way to say that, I think. He is very much like, yeah, we just fact check Biden, but like also Trump's not coming back. Yeah. He said that verbatim. He's like, everybody's asking me if Trump's coming back. Like we need to uh, verify the process for people who violate our terms. That's what he's like. I I also like the process too. Yeah. He's saying stuff about, I'm not just bringing him back because you fuckers want me to. Like we're going to do this the right way. And if maybe there is a world that a guy like Trump comes back, but if he violated Twitter terms, like we, that, that's it, you know? I like it. I like the infrastructure that he put in place already. Um, I'm a little bit worried about this, like, community fact-checking stuff, but I don't know. I don't know. The White House deleted those tweets, too, or yeah. some of them. I mean, I think it's just important that, like, like, it goes back to your point. You talked about how you go for news, that, like, the news should be correct. I agree. Like, I you don't so. need to fact check my opinion that the Giants are going to the playoffs and then it says, actually, they're not. Like, that's that takes away the charm of Twitter. But government accounts, New York Times, New York Post, all of those types of accounts, if they're posting something and people are going to Twitter for the news, then it should be the most true news they get. I agree. And that's Which talking then, business. And that pisses people off. It does piss people yeah. off. Because they're like, no, no, Fox News is right. No, CNN News is right. Well, none of you are right. Not, nobody's right anymore. So here's that. So here's to Twitter. I'm rooting for Twitter. And I'm, I'm rooting, rooting for Elon Musk. I, I want this to be good. I think it will. I think I think it's good. Um. Off to Balls, presented by Manscaped. You know where to go, manscaped.com. Use the code HOUSE, you get 20% off. 
Um, contenders and pretenders, NFL. Uh, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about the trade deadline in here too. Um, I, you know, I'll start off with a pretender of mine, and maybe it's bias. The New York Jets are pretenders, and I am more than willing to double down on that take. The Jets suck. I'm sorry. They're now exposed for who they are. Zach Wilson might be bad. And I have no problem pissing off my Jets fan friends. I'm very sorry. They are not contenders. They're five and three, but God, they are the worst five and three team in the NFL right now. I don't think that is even debatable. And for that reason, with a tougher schedule coming up for the Jets, I think they're done. I think this is where the season has turned after getting the shit beat out of them. Even though the score was close, they got the shit beat out of them by the Patriots because Zach Wilson sucks, and that's all. I mean, they were overplaying, but if you really look at their schedule, their only impressive win in my eyes is the Dolphins 40-17. to but granted, I also think the um well, it's it's something to be said beating the Packers at Lambeau too. I I'll give them that, but the Packers suck too. Yeah, I mean, you stole my words because that's my pretender. Oh, but I'll say like <laughs> <Good> segue, <laughs> like because the Dolphins. I'm pretty sure that Dolphins game was the Skylar Thompson game. Oh so yeah, like, that's right. You know, the Jets running on the hot hand against a third string quarterback. I'm not really too concerned, but like, other than that, like their five wins are against the Browns, which was a one point game. The Steelers who I don't know what they're doing. The Dolphins, the Packers and the Broncos. Like that's not really an impressive five and three. Like I'd much, and again, I'm not trying to be biased with the giants, but I'm more, I'm much more impressed as a football fan that the giants beat the Titans, the Ravens and the Packers and the Jaguars at home. Yes, I am. I think that's, I don't know, the Jets' resume just sucks. It sucks. And so do the Packers' resume. Um, And then you got to go Bills, Pats, Bears, Vikings, Bills. Like, that's a tough slate. Yeah, I think, you know, the only quote-unquote guaranteed dub, and at this point, maybe it's even not a guaranteed dub because the Bears uh, have been a bit better. Weird. They're a weird team. They just uh, got Chase Claypool too. And then they got rid. I mean, they like, they're built for like, you know, they had to because it's like the team was cap struck. The team was not in the position position to compete, but they got Justin Fields, a receiver who's on the team for a little bit, but they also <laughs> traded away Robert Quinn and um, uh, Smith. Roquan and Smith. Ro- Roquan Smith. So it's like your defense gets worse, but your offense gets better. You're just hoping Justin Fields. Like, what the fuck are they doing? Yeah. yeah. They want, because they saw him like, oh shit, he had a game last week where he like can actually play. So they're like, might as well buy stock in our offense now. Are the Bears the Red Sox this year of the NFL? They just like traded some pieces and couldn't decide if they're buying or selling. Like, I don't know. I mean, NFC is a little bit tough of a matchup to squeeze into the playoffs this year. I know. I know. Um, who's my contender going to be? That's the real question. I'll do my pretender. pretender. I'll do my pretender first, which was you the Packers. Pretender, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like, they're officially not doing anything at the deadline just proves they are not. Oh, in the, right. yeah. yeah. Like, for them, like, just giving up where, again, moves going to be made, but, like, 
like Brandon Cooks, for example, didn't get traded and there was a bunch of teams on him. And that's just more stupidity on like the Texans not getting the best offer no matter what. But like if I was the Packers, like watching the Bears trade a second round pick that like they have ample picks now because they got some from like the Roquan Smith trade and like um, the Quinn trade as well. Like a straight up second round pick for Claypool, like you're telling me the Packers couldn't do that. Mm. That's 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 telling. Yeah. We'll and the see. Packers weren't a receiver away. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, their 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 trouble stem deeper than that. But like, give Aaron Rodgers at least something to like spark a new wave for the second half of the season. Yeah, I, I he's I would be so pissed if I was him. But a lot of it's on him too. It's like be a better quarterback first of all. <laughs> um, like, yeah, and again, yeah. he doesn't have a lot of weapons. He has like Mercedes Lewis on the team, but. He's still on the team. Yeah, earlier this year, I think he caught his first uh, caught his first touchdown pass in what was it, two years? No. Yeah, he was all he went off last year. I thought. Well, let's find out. Mercedes Lewis. Yeah, he's on the team. He has a grand total of two receiving yards this year. One target, one reception, and one touchdown. Not bad. Pretty efficient, if you ask me. Um, What did he do last year? 2021. 214 yards, 23 receptions. Okay. He did not catch a touchdown pass last year. Okay, so two years. I mean, he's old as shit. He's, uh... 36? He's probably 30. He's 38. Wow. Old. That's old for a tight end. Still for any football player. Yeah. yeah, he's uh he's still chugging, which I was shocked to see that. I think I was like watching highlights or something like Mercedes Lewis with the touchdown. You know, holy fuck. You gotta be kidding me. Um contender time. What do you have? Because I need to make up my mind. I'm sorry. It's the Dolphins. I think that's what I was gonna say too. I'm just so enamored of the trades that they made and how moving back in the draft for Trey Lance when they did not need a quarterback. Literally, well, it, it stems it stems even further if we're going to go way back. It stems from Laramie Tunsil and the bong photo. So, getting yeah. Laramie Tunsil falling to the Dolphins after that bong photo released of him on draft night flipped then they flipped him to the texans for multiple first round picks which then also equated them to getting more first round picks in trading back and trey lance got them jalen waddle tyreek hill and bradley chubb so obviously waddle and tyreek were already there bradley chubb adding him on their defensive line is so important, especially when you have to play the Bills and you need someone to chase down Josh Allen and anyone else in the AFC truly too. I mean, if they make it to the playoffs, like, you know, they're going to play guys like Pat Mahomes and maybe Justin Herbert, like mobile quarterbacks that they got to, you know, run around from. So what a solid play. They retooled in different areas. Um, 
they traded which running back? Well, they got Jeff Wilson, but they traded away. I actually don't even know. Yeah, I forgot they picked up Jeff Wilson. Well, they traded they traded Chase Edmonds to the Broncos and then improved with Jeff Wilson. Oh. So that um my contender is the Dolphins. I think that Tua gets healthy, gets right, and like starts getting back to like, you know, potential MVP numbers. They're they're a team that I would not want to mess with. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you there. It sucks, but it's good for the Dolphins. They finally, I mean, they made a great move in Chubb. I think that's uh, that's probably the best trade of the deadline. Um, I mean, some other trades. I won't. I I won't talk about the Bills this week. I do think they are a contender. They went out and got Naheem Hines from uh, the Colts, which I think is finally like a long term solution for them because historically the running backs have sucked. Um, I mean, getting Naheem Hines and swapping him out for Zach Moss. So now you have Singletary, Hines, and um, this Cook kid. And Dalvin Cook's brother, James Cook. Yeah, uh, that's his brother? Yeah, that's a nice little trio. And like potentially signing Odell Beckham in the future. Yeah, who knows? I don't know where Odell's going to end up. But yeah, you know, fuck it. I'll call the Bills. I'll I'll just put the Bills in contender mode today. I'll save my pick for next week, depending on how this team does um, this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you look at the Bills and they're, when did they stumble? Um, it was just one, uh, just one game they lost. And it was to who? It's escaping me. Uh, they lost to the Dolphins, actually. Um, you know, they just couldn't get their offense going. You know, this is a special team. It pisses me off. I ju- we just picked two pretend or two contenders from the division that my team competes in, and none of them are that team. Um, this is an AFC East podcast today, I guess, because uh, we talked to Jets, the Bills, and the Dolphins. But the Bills, um, they made the right move. I think you have a passing back for the first time in at least a couple of years. They tried to just force stuff to Zach Moss and uh, Dalvin Cook's brother, who I just recently learned, obviously. And um, I don't know. It just Singletary never struck me as that kind of guy that just fit schematically with what they were trying to do. So maybe they do a little bit more cool shit with Naeem Hines and we'll, we'll see what happens. But these guys are these guys are for real this year. They're really good. Yeah. Um, What other trade deadline? I mean... We didn't see much other than what we just talked about. Bradley Chubb, um, the Jeff Wilson trade was noteworthy in the sense that the Dolphins just keep getting more. Um, I don't know. What else did we forget? I love the Calvin Ridley trade. Oh, yeah. Calvin Ridley to the Jags. Well, now, that's first, something like, else. They traded James Robinson to the Jets, which is a good move for the Jets after losing Brees, um, Bryce Hall. Brees Hall? Brees Hall. Yep. Brees Hall, yeah. Um, so it's like everyone was kind of like, yo, what the fuck are we doing? Like you're taking away playmakers. But then again, like obviously Calvin Ridley can't come to the team until next year. And it's also funny that like Calvin Ridley got suspended for picking the Falcons over the Jaguars in his parlay. Like that's that's comical. But like the Jaguars can now focus their attention on other parts and like drafts and the free agency. And having a guy like Calvin Ridley for a while is a very good number one option. You have Calvin Ridley, Zay Jones, and um, 
who's their other running their wide receiver that the Christian Kirk. Yeah. Nice little, nice little package of players for uh, uh, the Jaguars. If you also include ETN as their running back, it's a, they're, they're building something. Hey, I, I don't know. I don't know what the Jags want to be. Uh, we'll have to get Eric Dunn back on the hook to see what he thinks about all this. Um, and then my question for you, not even like trade deadline, like what happened, what didn't happen? Because it's like, I'm a little disappointed that the Giants didn't do anything, but I understand why. Like, I mean, they traded Kadarius Tony, which like he'll probably go off of the Chiefs, but like the guy was a bust and didn't want to play and never wanted to be healthy. Like, I don't need locker room cancers on, on a team that's six and two. Um, but like, it was a little disappointing because it's like the Giants clearly need receiver help and like you can propel yourself to the playoffs with like the easy schedule that you have. Like, you know, you kind of want to do something, but I also understand like building for the future. Like it's a cap. The team has a terrible cap situation right now. You know, they got to extend some key players build for the future, but are you like disappointed with the Pats or is it kind of like the same boat? I mean, I, they, they stood pat like they always do. Like it, it but I, I outlined this in a recent blog too. It's like, the biggest splash Bill has made in the past six years on trade deadline week is trading Jimmy Garoppolo. That's it. Yeah. There's nothing else of note in there. Like it's everybody else is a footnote. I mean, Kyle Van Noy was in there, but he was gone a few years later and then came back and then gone again. The Jamie Collins saga. I didn't expect shit. Now I, I thought a perfect package would be, and I was proved right by the way Deontay Foreman had played on Sunday. You get Shaq Thompson from Carolina, you throw in Foreman, you give a couple of picks back. Now this is now we're cooking gas in New England here. Because you don't know how Damian Harris is gonna end up. He was hurt a little bit. Ramondre needs somebody else to be reliable next to him. Um uh, some defensive reinforcement would be great. I think the defense has been pretty good. They've been streaky, but you pair a guy like Shaq Thompson with Matt Judon and holy fuck, that might be the best linebacking, like, you know, edge core I in the league immediately. Um, so I'm disappointed, but I just didn't expect, I didn't, I didn't expect much. Uh, I wish, I think the offensive line stuff was more of a pipe dream for me, but Titus Howard and uh, Andre Dillard were two guys that I, I thought would be good fits for the Pats. It didn't seem like they were going to deal any of them because you know, Andre Dillard is number, he's the number one off the bench in Philly. I don't know. Would have been nice. So I'm not too disappointed, but I am disappointed. And that's the trade deadline for that's me. That's trade like, deadline, yeah. I would have loved Bradley Chubb in New England. I knew that wasn't realistic, though. Yeah, I mean, it, we we saw that, like, teams that are really trying to fuck around and do something did it. Dolphins, Bills, Chiefs. The Ravens. What do the Ravens do? Well, with Smith. Oh, Roquan Smith, yeah. Um, which, like, the Ravens always have, like, wild defensive players. Like, some of the biggest names, but they never, like, get it done. Did Actually, one, Raven? one trade that, like, was crazy for me was the TJ Hawkinson one. Yeah, where he uh, on the Vikings, right? Yeah, so intra division, and like 
it wasn't even that good of a trade. So like Minnesota got TJ Hawkinson, a 2023 fourth rounder and a 2024 fourth rounder. Detroit just moved up in each of those years. So Detroit got a second rounder in 2023 next year and a third rounder the year after. So they just moved up one round in each year and they got rid of one of the like not top five, but like a top tier. Top 10 tight end. Yeah. And like adding it on Kirk Cousins, like he's going from Jared Goff to Kirk Cousins. Irv Smith, who we just actually talked about last week, ironically enough, got hurt. <laughs> um, but I like that little offensive, you know, squad that they have going on in Minnesota. Thielen, Jefferson, Cook, and now Hawkinson. That's uh they're making the way in the NFC. Yeah. Um, you just got Captain Kirk throwing to you. That's the only thing. Dude, what he's do you fine. Mean? He's fine. Kirk Cousins stats. I no, I I'm, I don't want to go that route. He's fine. It's just it's it's Captain Kirk. Seventeen hundred yards, eleven touchdowns, five interceptions, ninety QBR. He's fine. He's good. He's good. I'll I'll admit it. He's good. He's good. It pains me. That's all. Yeah. That's 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 what I've got. Um. So that's football. Uh, Pats are playing the Colts, I believe. Yeah, they've got the Colts at home. Um, you got to fucking win that game. I'm sorry. They benched Matt Ryan last week. Did you know that? I didn't know they benched him. Yeah, it's um, what's the kid's name? Sam Eisen. No. Uh, I don't know. I uh, this is how out of tune I am with the Colts because they suck. Uh, Sam Ellinger. 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 Texas that's kid, what yeah. it is. The Texas kid. Oh yeah, he was a kid that went to te- Okay, yep. Yeah. I remember this kid. How did he do when he came in? Let's see. Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan has a dead arm now. I know. It's. Sad. I think he's done. It's sad. Especially, it's I mean, sad. like again. Not to suck off the Pats fans, incredible Super Bowl, 28 to 3. I get it, but like that Falcons team was good, and they could just never, ever do it again. Well, it comes crashing down for Matt Ryan because hey, I felt bad for him last year when Stafford got traded and he has a ring on his finger now. He had his whole career on a bad football team, and he got a ring. And granted, the Rams aren't that great like this year, but Matt Stafford has a, a ring, ring on his finger. Matt Ryan, he had the same opportunity this year. It's like, okay, the wide receivers aren't as prolific, but like, you know, you got a new offense, you got a new coach, do your thing. And he goes out like this. That's a bad look. That's a bad look on what was a frustrating career for him. So bottom line is fucking win on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Giants have. Are they on by? They're on by. Oh, they're on by. It's important week for the Giants, though, because uh, they needed the buy. I mean, you lose to Seattle. It is what it is. Like, it's you're. I would have liked the win. It was very doable, but you know, weaknesses caught up. Long they did a bunch of traveling. I mean, the Giants in in the past four weeks were in London, Jacksonville, Seattle. It catches up. It catches up. So, but this is an important week because 
Joe Schoen, uh, the GM, said he's going to be talking some extensions possibly. He's going to look at restructuring, oh, right. I he's didn't see that. restructuring some contracts, also potentially extending Daniel Jones and Saquon. Um, obviously, Saquon would be my priority, but we'll see. It's a big week. Big week. Big, big week. week. Dubs and extensions. Let's do it. Dubs and extensions. Um, Close out, uh, we are wrapping up this recording as the Phillies have just been no hit by the Houston Astros, and now it's 2-2 in the World Series. Uh, There's no hitter in World ball. Series? No. Come on, man. You know. I don't know. It said first guy. combined no-no. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Let's find out. Combined, uh, well, actually, no hitters in World Series history. That's the top Google hit right now. Um there was only one, Don Larson in 1956 against the Brooklyn Dodgers, and that was a, a Yankee World Series that year. I'm pretty actually that might the Brooklyn Dodgers may have won that one. Huh. I don't know. No, oh, the Yankees won. Never mind. Um, Weird series though. I mean, the night before it was a seven nothing Phillies routing. Yeah, that was insane. It's going to go in seven. Uh, maybe it will. And I said Astros in uh, in six. I said Phillies in six. Yeah, neither would surprise me right now. I think I do. I just don't know. The Astros pitching was so inconsistent, but like when they're on, they're on. Like Christian Javier just fucking dealt tonight. And he's they a good me. pitcher. He's a good pitcher. Wait, didn't he I have the combined Houston no hitter against the table us? Now. Huh? Didn't he have the combined no hitter against us? Yep. Makes me feel a little bit better that he went on the national stage and did this too. And they're like, oh, he did this to the Yankees. Makes the story that much better for goddamn Houston. Nah, it's a it's a pussy it's a pussy no hitter. You gotta <laughs> go I in my opinion, yeah, it's a combined no hitter, but you gotta go all nine. Come on, man. Dude, he had like 90 pitches in the sixth. And I understand, like, but it's it's game four. He's not going to pitch in game seven. Bold. I think he might. Well, now he will because he was <laughs> he was saved. Uh, maybe. Save um, your bullpen. Yeah, but they didn't like use. Well, actually, they used their closer. They used Ryan Presley today. Yeah. Because he's like, you wanted to say you had a no hit in the World Series. I understand that, but doesn't that like put more strain on your relievers? Like now fighting for a no hitter even more. Yeah, they threw like two innings for a closer. No, the closer threw one. He only threw like fifteen pitches. Okay. Whatever. Congrats, yay, Houston. <laughs> Fuck Houston. Fuck Houston. See, I was. I'm never going to let anyone live this down. And you, because you were there. Did we chant, we want Houston, when we walked out of there? No, we didn't. We heard everyone else chant it. We didn't. I looked at you, and what did I say? I I said, I don't like this. I don't like it. I said, we should not be chanting this because I don't want Houston. No. And I wanted Seattle. That shit was not going to happen. I wanted Seattle. Um, 
I now I was good for a few Houston sucks chance. That's different. Yeah, Houston oh, does oh. suck objectively. Whole world versus the Astros. Oh, but yeah. my God, does this team look good? Even though it's two two, the Phillies have looked great. Um, I still I'm I'm riding Houston in six for my like actual pick. I I hope I'm wrong. I hope for the love of God I am wrong. Because I would love the Phillies to just rinse them and win fourteen nothing these next two games. That would be heaven on earth. And I'll yeah. take the economic crisis that comes after. Yeah. I mean, I'm just kind of glad like the Yankees are not in it because they, this would have been game four loss and they would have been swept. Yep. The Phillies are a good team. Good team. Yeah. Yes, they are. That's balls. That's balls. Uh, college basketball is coming back on Monday. Go follow us at College Troops HE across the board. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, all that jazz. Uh, new pod. New pod. New polls. New people. PPP pod. Yeah. Now we're on to something. Pod, 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 polls, and peep. I don't like it. Eh. We'll it's workshop important. it. <laughs> Steal, you stole my line from earlier. We'll workshop it. We'll workshop it. Uh, um, follow along. Uh, House of College Hoop Show is now out as well. Um, some really cool stuff coming. Pat Scary, uh, who we should have back on BBB, honestly. When the season's over, it'd be cool to like go up to Medford, have a pizza with him, and just talk. No, Brian, Brian Towson. Well, we're gonna do uh, coach in the car. Yeah, coach in the car, BBB. Be like, hey, Pat. I know tip offs in fifteen minutes, but like, get in my Nissan. Yeah, we're gonna go grab Jay's Deli. Oh, we gotta actually set that up though. Yeah, we gotta go like before the game. Before the game, we'll take him on a ride to like get an egg and cheese. Yeah. Good morning. Can we get him and Grasso in the same car? I don't know. That's so sketchy because it's like, yo, we're gonna get my car. We're gonna film you guys. Like, I think we'd be. I mean, if we can pull that off, that'd be so sick. It would be, even if it's just one of them. Yeah. Like, even if it's just Pat, but we should get them both in the car. Oh, we'll talk to Jared. We'll run. We'll talk to Jared. We'll butter him up. Yes, we will. Former BBB guest. It's only fair. Yeah. Okay. That's episode 103. Um, well, we've got like at least five or six more episodes until the turnover of the new year. Exciting shit. Um, and then it's on to 2023, folks. That's 103. Thanks for listening. Uh, go follow Monday Night Brewing, too. That's Will and I'm Jake. See ya. Take it easy. Take it easy.